Well, my topic today is dealing with the weeds. Yes, a gardening topic. Not what you expected. But before I start, I'd like to pray. Lord, thank you for giving me this message. It was a hard one for me to receive because it spoke to me powerfully in my life. And Lord, I pray that you will anoint this time now with your Holy Spirit being active, Lord, open the hearts of the people that are listening, both here and online later on. Lord, may they have ears to hear and eyes to see what you are saying to them today. Lord, I leave this in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, why am I speaking about weeds? Well, this has got to do with the fact that I've been removing a lot of weeds in the yard at my home. But it's more so because God has been speaking to me about this issue in my own life and I felt that he may also want me to share his revelation with you. Uh, that probably didn't occur to me until Pastor Lee put a fair bit of uh, pressure on me to, to preach. I don't see it as my gift. But I said to him, I've got a message and that's what I'm going to share with you today. It's, not a, it's, it's, it's a hard one. So what happened was uh, last year, several months ago, I was sitting right over there where about Lucy is sitting and we were having our worship time and I'd come from a week of pulling weeds out in my yard and God spoke to me very powerfully and used that to say something clearly to me. But more about what that is later. First of all, um, I want to take a, a quick look through the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about weeds because weeds are actually mentioned a few times in the Bible, believe it or not. So here we go. So the first mention of weeds is pretty early in the Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. And this is where God is addressing Adam and Eve after they disobeyed him um, by eating the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. And this was, God was laying out the consequence of their sin. And he said this particularly to Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Remember in the Garden of Eden, the fruit was just there on the trees and they could help themselves to it, bar the one in the centre of the garden, which they were told not to. So presumably, there were no weeds in the Garden of Eden. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but I'm assuming that because I'm thinking the Garden of Eden was perfect. But now, weeds are introduced into the earth as a consequence of Adam and Eve's sin to compete with the food supply that had to be produced through man's painful labour. Okay, we're going to jump forward now to the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 7 to 8. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a good crop, useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. 
But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. This is an allegory for the believer's life, but it also demonstrates the worthlessness of land infested by weeds and its logical outcome. When we apply the metaphor of the land infested with weeds to a life, there's pretty dire eternal implications, aren't there? So weeds are not a good thing. However, let's now go in the book written by Matthew. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. And um, there, there's recorded, would you believe, a whole parable is devoted to weeds, which is pretty amazing because Jesus only told about 30 parables that are re- actually recorded in the Bible, and one was devoted to weeds. So we're looking at um, Matthew 13. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, oh, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Later, in the same chapter, 13, Matthew records how Jesus explained this parable to his disciples. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So this parable illustrates how believers and non-believers will be treated at the end of this present age. And finally, there is the well-known parable of the sower, again told by Jesus to a large gathered crowd and recorded in Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 to 9. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, 
Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a good crop. A hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. So clearly we can see from this quick romp through the Bible and looking at stories about weeds, that weeds are associated with sin or the consequences of sin and the work of the enemy, the devil. The ground is referred to as the people of this world and the seed is the gospel or good news of salvation. Why did Jesus teach about the kingdom of heaven through parables? Well, this was because the people in Jesus' day were um, the ordinary people were largely uneducated. Um, the educated people were the rich, the ones that hung around the, the temple, I guess the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. But the ordinary people um, were not educated and they relied on the oral tradition um, to pass on learning. It's a little bit like our, our Indigenous uh, people of Australia, isn't it? Uh, they passed down their learnings through the oral tradition, through telling stories. And uh, research has shown that this is very effective in, in teaching. See, these people lived in a Roman-ruled, oppressed culture and under the restrictive Mosaic law. And they had little understanding of the kingdom of heaven. The people were dull and their hearts were hardened to the truth. As Jesus said in Matthew 13, 15, this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. So a parable is an allegorical story designed to illustrate or teach a truth using concrete illustrations as a symbol of an abstract meaning. Now, my background is as a teacher, and one of the things I remember being taught at university before I even got out to teach was that children, little children, can only understand concrete things. And this is why parents and school teachers use um, stories to teach children so that they can grasp abstract concepts. So here is an allegory now from my own recent experience through which God taught me an important concept. So naturally it's about weeds, isn't it? So when I bought my home nearly 13 years ago, the land all around the house had been landscaped by the previous owner with stones, which was a pretty popular way of doing that, I guess, uh, for 13, 14 years ago. So here's a photo of the backyard from the sales marketing campaign. So that's what it looked like 13 years ago. Looks neat. But when I first saw the house, I loved everything about it except the stones. I was never a fan of those stones. But in my logical mind, I figured, well, 
The yard will be low maintenance. I don't have much time to spend on it because I have a pretty busy career and I don't even own a lawnmower. So this, this could be a blessing. I was wrong. So over the years, with all the deciduous trees that were in the neighbouring properties that dropped their leaves every autumn, a good bed of soil built up at the bottom of those stones. And this was the perfect breeding ground for the weeds to grow. And boy, did they grow every spring. The rains came and they grew. To make matters worse, um, you can see the main part there. Um, there are brown stones. There was never any black plastic underneath them to separate them from the earth. Yes, yeah, so the weeds really could get a good root down. So, um, unfortunately, every spring, being a music teacher, that was the busiest time for me. I was busy organising concerts for end of year. I didn't have any, didn't have any time to go out and weed, hardly had time to do anything else. Um, so, what would happen is school would finish and I'd spend most of my summer holidays pulling out the weeds which was difficult because they were rooted down well into the stones, so you had to get your fingers down to pull them out by the roots. Well, guess what? I kept doing this for 12 years. I'm a bit slow learner. Until last year, I decided I'd had enough because you remember how much it rained in spring last year? Yes. Well, guess what? I had a bumper crop of weeds. Have a look. That's only just one part of the backyard. It was pretty bad right across and down the side of the house. They grew to over a metre tall. I came to the realisation that the stones had to go and they had to be replaced with something else that would prevent or limit these weeds growing. So months of work commenced back in spring of last year. So first of all, the weeds had to be removed so I could get to the stones. Next, the stones had to be removed. You can see here in this picture that um, all the weeds are gone. That, that took weeks of work. Um, so next, the stones had to go. And that was a really big job. And I needed help with this because those stones are really heavy so I employed Carter to help me with this. Now, you all know Carter, don't you? Buffy's son. And he's a big, strong lad, but I tell you what, it tired him out. In all, six cubic metres of stones were removed from the backyard and they filled two skips. Here is the first skip that we filled near the end of November and the other one went just last week, a couple of days ago. So now the yard is back to bare earth. It's still a work in progress. So here's the plan. Caleb, can we have the next slide? Thanks. So there it is back to bare earth. So later this month, there's going to be artificial lawn laid on that large area of earth where the brown stones were. And then round the side where that picture was taken a few weeks ago, but all those white stones are now gone. Um, that's going to be turned into garden beds and planted with nice shrubs uh, around the perimeter. And 
Um, and then under the shrubs, there's going to be um, mulch to keep the weeds out. Um, so in the end, it's going to look pretty good. So it's not finished yet. It's still got probably about a month's more work to go. It's a big job. However, in the front yard, I started a similar process about two years ago, just before COVID, when we remo I removed the stones there with the help of uh, Roxanne's daughter, Georgia. And last year, I planted bare-rooted roses there and nasturtiums, which have grown to provide beautiful colour and some ground cover. So that's also a work in progress, but a bit more advanced. And they've brought beauty to my yard, whereas for years, I have to confess, I actually felt a lot of shame about my yard because it was the worst in the street. You know, shame and about the weeds. Weeds are not good. There's a bit of a connection here, which you'll understand further. So what, what was it that God said to me? There's my roses in first bloom. What was it that God said to me one Sunday morning when I was sitting over here during worship? And at that point, I was right in the midst of pulling weeds. Well, he showed me that my spiritual life is like my yard. That if I neglect it by not reading my Bible and praying and worshipping and meeting regularly with other Christians at church, and being fed with good biblical teaching, then the weeds, which is sin, will take root and grow. Sure, I can confess those sins and be forgiven, just like it says in 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. However, if I don't do anything else than that, then chances are that I will go back to living in the same way and repeating the same sins. The weeds will grow back. I needed to change the environment like I needed to remove the stones and I need to start some new habits and new ways of living just like I needed to plant some lovely plants and put in ground cover in my garden to replace the weeds. Now, I think this situation actually applies to all of us. So instead of just talking about myself, I've talked about what God showed me. I'm going to speak generally from here on. So let me talk about sin, the weeds, for a moment. It's an ugly subject. Um, the weeds in our life. So scripture tells us, first of all, from Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short, fall short of the glory of God. We know that well. And in Galatians 5.17 and 18, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. You see, sin is always going to be a struggle in our lives here on earth. But there are things that can be done to deal with it 
and minimise it from wrecking our lives because that's what sin does. It's just like weeds that are always going to pop up in our garden, but with regular maintenance and other measures that I took to suppress them, we can deal with them. So what is sin? Well, most people think, oh, yeah, that's breaking the Ten Commandments. Yeah, I don't do that. I'm a good person. Or breaking the law of the land. Oh, you know, I always obey the laws. Yeah, occasionally I go over the speed limit. But what's the greatest commandment? It's about loving God with all your heart, soul and mind. So if you don't do that, that's sin. And loving our neighbours as ourselves, which is caring for other people. It's also the acts of the sinful nature as detailed in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. And I'll just read them off. There's a whole stack of them here. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And you look at that list and say, oh, most of those I don't do. But, you know, I've been in churches where I've seen dissension. I've seen factions. This is with Christians. You know, I've seen selfish ambition. So it's prevalent. Open your eyes. So what about, um, I thought about some of the sins of the modern day. And I thought of things like addictions to all sorts of things, pride, giving your time to pursuing your career or interests ahead of making time for God, holding on to unforgiveness, judging others, taking offence easily at what others say or do to you and holding that against them, lustful thinking, And the one I'm seeing more of in recent times is choosing what parts of Scripture you want to believe and live by, or in other words, creating your own theology. And that is, in essence, idolatry. You know, it's one thing to confess our sins and seek God's forgiveness, but what is required is true repentance. Repentance is turning away from that sin and taking steps to see that it doesn't happen again. This takes a lot of hard work. It's just like the hard work that I had to put in with Carter to remove those stones. I needed Carter's help because of the weight of the stones. Your help might be in the form of a counsellor or the pastor if you're trying to remove Um, some weighty things from your life. This work requires a change in thinking, a change in how we behave, a change in attitudes. This doesn't happen overnight. Repentance requires a deep conviction and an open heart and a mind willing for the Holy Spirit to come in 
and transform ways of thinking and acting. Just like it says in Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's changing ways of thinking. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. I liken this to changing the environment in which sin, the weeds, formerly grew vigorously and allowing the gardener, God, to do some major work in our hearts. Remember that I had to remove the stones to remove the environment in which the weeds flourished. So an example in our lives of changing the environment would be maybe removing access to something to which you were addicted such as Facebook or gaming. Now, those things aren't sins. Don't get me wrong. It's when the time we spend on those things becomes so great that it's robbing us of time that we spend with God. We choose to spend time on those things. We make choices to do those things to excess, uh, to the expense of spending time with God. That's where the sin is. So if it's, yeah, I've covered that point. Um, So a renewing of your mind means a change in patterns of thinking. What if we're watching lots of movies and media that are full of violence and sex and worldly viewpoints? Then that's going to influence our way of thinking, isn't it? We will start conforming to the pattern of this world. And the outcome is that our hearts become hardened and calloused. So we need to take bold steps to change the environment. It's hard work. But it's not enough to just change the environment because the weeds will come back. Remember with the uh, slide with the bare earth that I showed you? Already the weeds are growing back there, you know, because the artificial lawn hasn't gone down yet. So they come back, they're tenacious. We need to replace the old habits and ways of thinking with new, wholesome, godly habits. And thinking plus the places we go, the things we watch, the friends we hang out with, if they're exerting a bad influence on our life. Just like I had to have to replace the stones with the artificial lawn, the beautiful plants, the ground cover, and the mulch. You know, the Bible gives us some wonderful advice on this in Philippians 4.18. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. I love looking at my roses because they're beautiful. The weeds weren't. They brought me shame. So what does this look like in practice? So here's some examples. Instead of finding fault or whinging or easily taking offence, find the good things to think about and praise. 
says in the Bible, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's from Colossians 3.13. Focus on recognising the gifts and accomplishments of others instead of looking just at their shortcomings and judging them or comparing and feeling pride because I'm not like that. Replace addictions with things that are good for you. So if you've got an addiction to chocolate and you eat too much of it, it's not good for you. Replace it with dark chocolate. You won't want to eat as much. They say that dark chocolate's got antioxidants. With some addictions, though, it's hard to just change things out and perhaps you need to set up an accountability partner, somebody you trust that you know won't judge you, that you can go to and keep you accountable as you turn away from the addiction. This is very important. Join a Bible study group, a prayer group, or attend the Alpha course. You go, oh, I haven't got time for that. You know, make time. This is good stuff. It will feed you. It will bring good things into your life. I speak from experience. Take time out in nature. Get away from the gaming. Get away from the computer. Go and walk in nature and truly appreciate the work of the Creator. Walk around and praise him and bless him for the tall, strong trees, the beautiful flowers, the mountains and the hills. You know, that's, that's a praiseworthy thing. It's a good thing. It's good for your, for, for your life. So in conclusion, I've used the allegory of my garden experience to present the steps that must be taken to live a godly, transformed life as a Christian where sin is no longer, longer given free reign in our life, but is dealt with. You can do it. Jesus did his part through his death on the cross to pay for our sin. You know, we can't just take advantage of that. We can't take it for granted. Just as the weeds in the parable were gathered up and thrown into the fire, we must also deal with the sin that creeps into our lives or we will be overtaken with it like my yard was. So here are the steps again. One, take a good look at your life and recognise the sin that needs to be dealt with. You know, we tend to get on with our life and just ignore it and not think about it. Take some time out and recognise it. Confess the sin and receive God's forgiveness. He's always there listening. That's like pulling the weeds. Repent by turning away from that sin and seeking God's help. That's the hard work. Change the environment so that the sin will not easily return. Replace the old habits, the ways of thinking and behaviours with new activities and wholesome ways of thinking. I read somewhere that you can make a new habit if you keep doing it every day for, I think it was 21 days or something, that that, that will stay. You can form new habits. Maintain vigilance. Regularly tend the garden to keep the weeds from re-establishing. You know, we're going to have a lifetime of dealing with the weeds because we live in a fallen world. Thanks to the disobedience of Adam and Eve, 
They fell prey to Satan's deceit and their sin resulted in them having to leave that perfect garden that God had given them in which to live. We need to be attentive to our gardens, that's our lives, and deal with the weeds. We need to keep pulling them out. We should allow God to plant good things into our lives that blossom, are lovely, and produce in their time good fruit. That's why I've encouraged you to join a Bible study, join a prayer group, go to Alpha Course. You know, this is assisted by the fertilizer of Bible reading, watering of prayer, and the harvesting of fellowship. Take care of your garden. Let's have just a quiet moment for you to just reflect on your life and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the weeds in your life that maybe you've been ignoring because they're not very nice but you need to deal with. Lord God, help us to hear this message. I asked at the beginning that our ears be open, our eyes be open. Help us to see with those spiritual eyes, those areas of sin that we need to deal with. Bring it to our attention. Lord, I pray that each one here will have resolve to deal with those weeds. I've revealed the steps. They know what to do. Lord, may they come to you in confession and repentance and resolve to to instill in their lives new patterns of thought, new ways of living that honour you, that glorify you. Lord, you are the one who comes into our life when we accept you as saviour. And you want to transform our lives and renew our minds so that we become more like you. And often we're the obstacles to that. And I pray, Lord, that we will be open and ready to receive your transforming work and to do whatever it takes to work at those things. The Christian life is not easy, Lord. We know that. But we do it because we love you and we thank you that you died on the cross in the first place, to pay the penalty for our sins. Lord, I pray this message will have a deep work in the hearts of the hearers. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.